0: ninja guide it's podcast armageddon but we don't have fifty thousand dollars to give away welcome to the pool scene podcast i as always am kevin bradway and i've got jim sabella with me jim i know you're excited for this one you're wearing your power glove you've been sleeping in it for a week how are you today jim
1: california
0: yeah, I, I want to go to, we all want to go to California.
1: Oh, I cannot wait. This is one of these movies where it came out when we were kids, and it was one big eye candy video game movie, but reanalyzing this movie, how dark This movie is. So
0: this week, we will be discussing the 100-minute Nintendo commercial from 1989 called The Wizard, or as we like to say, The Wizard. Wizard! Except in between masturbatory shots of Power Gloves and Mario 3... There's some grim subtext to this film. Jim, before we talk about that, how about you tell us how we were living in 1989?
1: This movie did come out in December of 1989, the 15th, so nine days before Christmas Eve. Budget of this was $6 million. Box office was $14.3 million. Other big events that were happening in 1989, the Cold War was declared over by President Bush and Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev. We invaded Panama but did not take out Noriega. Nikolai Ceaușescu was toppled and executed on Romanian television. We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel was the number one song in America for this week and the number one movie at the box office, the Christmas staple movie starring Chevy Chase, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation.
0: Nice. That's that's excellent. So, this movie was kind of seen as a flop at the box office, but making $14 million on a $6 million budget is not bad. Yeah, but depending, depending on what location
1: shots were, like some of the scenes in this movie, they're very hard to explain, like how was it possible, the cast. But I'm pretty sure most of this cast they probably could have got for pittance, but there were some good names in this movie. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, uh, normally we watch these movies... Directly before we record Just to keep it fresh in our mind And most of these movies Are are things we've seen Multiple times But I will say That I struggled With this movie To write a coherent Plot summary it's pretty tough. It's all over the place. This... It, it, there's a lot of, of things that are introduced that aren't resolved and the main theme is, is pretty hard. So I had a hard time writing the plot summary, but let me get into it. Let me, let me tell you what I came up with. Jimmy Woods lives with his mother and stepfather and he suffers from what they call PTSD since the drowning death of his twin sister Jennifer two years prior. Jimmy's older half-brothers Nick and Corey live with their dad. Jennifer's drowning led to the, to the divorce that keeps them separate. When their mom decides to commit Jimmy to a mental institution. Corey intercepts Jimmy, they pick up a female drifter their age along the way, and they head out on foot towards LA for Video Armageddon with a $50,000 prize. I have failed to mention that Jimmy happens to be a video game savant, all while a race ensues to find them between a bounty hunter and the duo of their dad and brother.
1: This movie has so many so many twists and turns. It's kind of it's hard to understand or this movie in its premise, probably could not be made today without some controversy involved. Because there is a lot of very borderline sexual predatory type shit going on with Uncle Putnam, if you will.
2: He touched my breast!
0: Yeah, so a little bit difficult to explain as far as what exactly the plot is, but in a way you can think of it as a child's version of Rain Man. It's exactly what it was. It and came out a year earlier. I'll ask you this question now. What What do you think the demographic is for this movie? Well,
1: <laughs> reading the background for this, Nintendo did not have much of a role in this movie,
0: but how dark it is, it should be more like 18 to 34. This seemed to happen a lot in like the 80s and 90s where a movie that's targeted for children it's like they they gave it this subplot that also targeted it towards adults so it's super weird I, I can say that as a five or a six year old I saw this as Nintendo porn because I remember seeing this movie when I was a what kid I was born in 1983 I remember seeing it as a five or six year old and just thinking wow Nintendo you know Rad Racer Mario 3 Mario 2 Ninja Turtles arcade cabs that's what I saw I didn't really pay attention to this heavy family dynamic and and thinking about one parent Parent taking an initiative to institutionalize the child while the other parent feels as though they have no control over that choice. It seems to be more of like the subject matter of like a Noah Bombach movie rather than a children's movie. That's why I'm I'm not sure what This movie has a lot of unanswered
1: questions, like why in God's name, was it part of their like divorce agreement that Sam could not have any association with Jimmy he just seems to be disassociated like he they're gonna put him in a home Daddy he doesn't seem to give a crap whatsoever right. that, I mean
0: one of that's definitely one of the issues that Corey and his brother both, seem to be upset at their dad because he doesn't seem to care that their other brother is going to be institutionalized. He just doesn't. He seems to kind of wash his hands and say, there's nothing I can do about it. Over that fight over the burnt casserole that he decided to make that day. Yeah, there's there's definitely an introduced storyline that's never resolved where Christian Slater's character and Bo Bridges' character just don't connect or see eye to eye. It's There's there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's just kind of like hinted at but never really explored enough, which leads me to my next point this movie's original cut according to the director was two and a half hours long
1: i do want to see that two and a half hour cut because i think this would explain a lot of the plot holes in this movie it has to i I don't know that it does Uh, for instance let's jump to the end of the movie how does that happen how does it end up ending does Haley get adopted by them does she they drop her off at boat world but no parents and a gambling addicted mom who apparently has not been in the picture for a very long
0: time Well, before we go into too many specific details... There's a lot, folks. Let's at least introduce the characters to you. So, we have Fred Savage, the late 80s, early 90s darling who is in everything. He plays Corey Woods. And I will say, seeing the poster and the promotional stuff to this movie, you would think that Fred Savage was the main character, the the wizard per se. But no, it was Luke Edwards as Jimmy Woods, who is the wizard. Corey Woods is just Jimmy's brother, who's played by Fred Savage. At the time...
1: Savage is known for the Wonder Years, man. Wonder Years is a number one TV show. This movie would not have been that successful. Not that it was super successful. It basically made a cult following. But without Fred Savage in that movie, like Christian Slater's just kicking off the time. The early 90s is when Christian Slater really hits his peak. People know who Bo Bridges is, but
0: yeah. Yeah, Christian Slater played Nick Woods. He Christian Slater had made Legend of Billy Jean and Heathers and some other things, but this predated Gleaming Cube, Pump Up the Volume, Young Guns 2, and some others. Bo Bridges had been in everything. Uh, I want to mention Jenny Lewis as Haley Brooks, which is the female drifter they picked up that we mentioned. Jenny Lewis is honestly currently one of the best living singer-songwriters in the world world. She had fully transitioned from acting to singing and songwriting. She was the singer of legendary indie rock band Rilo Kylie. They released four al- excellent albums, I will say. Uh, I don't know about Under the Blacklight as much, but the other three albums were fantastic. Then she made an, an album with the Watson twins, which I listened to a ton, and then that started her solo career. She's big on the festival circuits, you know, your Bonaroos and things that aren't happening this year due to the coronavirus. She plays a 12 or a 13-year-old girl. She lives in reno she has a whole backstory about ultimate latchkey kid like there's no parents whatsoever she's a very independent woman at her age yeah i mean you you find out more details about that later in the movie but she's also friends with uh truck drivers and has a spanky a good idea of the trucker's code so you've got uh the guy who plays putnam will seltzer who's the bounty hunter frank McRae is spanky he's her truck driver friend you got toby mcguire who shows up as goon he's one of of, uh, Lucas's no lines. at Video He's Armageddon. just standing there. It looks like they just picked him out of Universal Studios. I, said, I love that here. shot. There's like one shot in front of Video Armageddon at Universal Studios where they're basically decked out all in like Vision Street where they look like the Bones Brigade. It's the prototypical late 80s, early 90s wear. And then you have my dude, Lee Ehrenberg, as Armageddon registrar. He's amazing. Uh, so, Jim, which which actor actress gives the best performance?
1: For me, by far. Are, my standout MVP would have to be Bo Bridges as Sam Woods. You look at the disconnect at that very beginning of the movie. He's not getting along with his son, Corey. He's not getting along with his son, Nick. There's this big hangup. He seems to want Nick to be the heir apparent to his business, Woods Landscaping. But during this one fight that we overhear that he's not happy about his drinking, he's staying out all times of the night, that might be you know, connected to Jennifer drowning and Jimmy being institutionalized. But throughout this, this whole movie the road trip to california from utah nick and sam drive together they go on this crazy road trip in which they're using his truck as a weapon and shovels for weapon to hurt putnam to stop him from getting jimmy but between the beginning and the end bo bridges is learning how to play video games He's connecting with Nick, and by the time they get the video Armageddon, Nick even says, this guy's a changed man.
0: So, I, mind Sam Woods. I, I can't say that Bo Bridges is my MVP because of how he plays video games. <laughs> If you watch this movie or if you've watched it in, in anticipation of this episode, keep an eye out for how Bo Bridges plays the video games. I mean, you've got you've got your serious video game players who will lean forward in a seat when things get good or they'll kind of tilt the controller on a racing game. But Sam Woods, or Bo Bridges is Sam Woods, he like flails all over the place. He's like button mashing and twisting and turning and jumping. And now, we would say at this time, Bo Bridges is probably mid-40s in this movie, would we say? Yeah, probably. At this
1: time, my dad was roughly, he was early forties. When I would see him play a video game, it was the exact same way. For some reason, it was always portrayed that older people don't get what the hell's going on, so they got to overemphasize everything on a small NES controller. It was over the top, plus we'll mention it more later on in Logic. A lot of things don't make sense when it comes to how any of them within the movie operate a video game or how to do it properly.
0: Yeah, it's it's odd. Um, so let's, let's go ahead, let's find out which scenes made a splash. My number one scene, the one that stands out, is... You know, they're hitchhiking, they're on foot, going across the country to get to California, and they they gain money, they're hustling people in these arcades. You know, this one kid chimes in and says, well, you guys got to play Lucas. So they go and find Lucas, who introduces the Power Glove. I love the Power Glove. It's so bad. And that's, you know, he plays Rad Racer, and he's shown using the Power Glove, and it doesn't work the way that the Power Glove actually works.
1: And a lot of people thought it was Nintendo that wanted to introduce the Power Glove in the movie, but when we were doing our show research for the episode, Nintendo had no idea or didn't ask them to promote the Power Glove and completely shows why Nintendo probably shook their head at how they used the Power Glove because if anybody who's anybody who's a gamer like Kevin or I have the Power Glove, I have it right next to me the damn thing never worked properly no. there's so many damn buttons and keys on this thing which there's a documentary on Prime which you guys should check out all about the Power Glove. People nowadays have used the Power Glove to make music now it's really cool but the Power Glove and that's scene is absolutely atrocious he has his own separate suitcase for it with his name on it with a foam
0: inset it's like oh my god what the hell is going on and and this is a good time to mention we were trying to figure out where exactly like lucas's home base is and it's some sort of bar like this is a Luke is probably fifteen. It's like a roadside diner. Yeah, and he's like fifteen years old and he just hangs out all day at this roadside diner, kinda wait like taking on all comers, and he just hooks up his Nintendo and I'm starting to think that maybe his mom Might be one of the
1: waitresses in that diner, which would be the only explanation as to why they let him hang out, play video games there, sit at the counter. That's got to be the only reason why. That's the only reason I'm thinking.
0: Two and a half hour cut to find out. I hope it's out there. What's the first scene you want to mention?
1: Okay, for me is a little bit. Later on in the movie,
0: they realize Lucas
1: knows all 97 NES games. And when Jimmy met Lucas with the power glove thing, Jimmy ran away. He was scared he didn't know how to counter Lucas's know-how, his mastery of the NES. On their way to... Los Angeles. Haley takes it upon her- herself to, let's get Jimmy acclimated with all these games. So, they get a hotel with the money that Spanky won via Haley at the at the casino. We'll talk about that later in Logic because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. She, he hits on a hard eight. He hits on a hard eight on craps. Somehow, at her age, she knows how to play craps. Yeah. And they let her in a casino. Whatever. I digress. In that hotel room, she decides, I'm going to call the Nintendo tip line, and he's going to learn all these games. So, they go to a shot where you see the typical late 80s 90s guys in their late teens early 20s working for a Nintendo tip line you see binders full of tips and she calls and says
2: Nintendo game playing this is Rick how can I help you hi my name is Haley and I've got a wizard who's going all the way to the championships in Los Angeles is that so all I need is a little help okay let's start with Simon's Quest okay now where exactly are you in the game
1: but you just hear about all these tips, and it's a montage of Jimmy standing in front of Play Choice 10, playing Turtles, playing Ninja Gaiden, playing all these games. And that stuck out. That was porn for me. That was an immediate porn shot. as a seven- to eight-year-old kid for me. Could you see all these games? Yeah. And you go, for me, I'm, I'm not going to deny the fact that I wasn't spoiled. My mom saw this movie with me as a kid, and she saw all those games, and I saw the look of dread on her face. Because that Christmas, I got those games. Yeah. It was amazing, and I learned so much from just the little scenes in that.
0: When we we watched this, I said, I want to work there. Cause it's just you know a bunch of dudes feet kicked up binders full of information about these games you could call in and find out. There's a whole cool story about the people who worked there. They had test systems, test cartridges. You know they're highly collectible. They'd be bright yellow. Uh, but that's a, a story for another day about working at the uh, Nintendo. And and I want to talk about that scene with the Nintendo hotline later in the logic portion because there are a lot of things to bring up about that entire scene. I just sense that a
1: lot of those guys after a while really. Resented Nintendo and video games. They just turned her way off of it. Oh, I guarantee probably. it. Uh,
0: I, I, a, a lighthearted scene that, to me, is definitely something I want to talk about is is the registrar at the Video Armageddon. So Haley <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and Corey and uh, Jimmy pull up, and they kind of like Woods. Ah! Three finalists, one
2: champion. Who will survive? Video Armageddon continues. Let's move it, move it, move it, kids. Yeah. Hey, Hey, we're here to register. Good. Yeah, his name is Jimmy Woods. What? Jimmy Woods. What game is it? What game are they playing? Well, for the prelims, we're playing it. Ninja Gaiden. Hey! He knows Ninja Gaiden. We're in. That's great. You're in. Fantastic. Pin this to his back and hustle it on him. Now You're blowing it. You're late. Move it, move it, move it.
0: And this guy, it's like he, I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's trying to play up like an Oscar-winning performance for a five-second scene, and they ask him, you know, what what game are we playing? And he goes, Ninja Gaiden, and he's, yeah, he's over the top. It's an awesome scene. I don't know why the guy, you know, went so out of his way to, to act like that, but it's, it's amazing. I love that scene. You know scene. what that scene seems like? They were running low on money. And running low
1: on time, and they're just like, "Do this scene real quick." And he just goes ape shit with it. And they said, "Fine,
0: roll it, cut. We're good." Wrap. It, this guy's like sort of doing, if you know Joe Piscopo, it's sort of like a like a budget Joe Piscopo impression <laughs> that he's doing, and it's it's great. It's like that. I mean, these kids are probably walking up super duper nervous to be entering this tournament and having to play in front of all these people. And you know, props to this guy for easing the nerves. Okay, my next one, once again, I'm going to stick to
1: the games here, because that's my know-how, that's my wheelhouse. When Jimmy plays Double Dragon, when they're trying to get a bus ticket to Los Angeles, that they find out, they thought it was probably going to be $27, it was $227. Corey is like, Jimmy, go play this game, here's a quarter. So he starts playing Double Dragon, and somehow he gets 50,000 points in Double Dragon in 40 seconds, which is virtually impossible, that can't be happening. 50,000?
2: You got 50000 on
1: Double Dragon? However, Haley is sitting right there and watches this all go down. So they decide, you know, Haley takes him in the back and she said, Oh, my brother can kick your butt. and Let's put some money up on it. She's he's like, I'll six dollars and seventy some cents. It's the bus ticket to St. George, Utah, because all they have are $27 in cash. She's like, I don't have six six dollars and seventy cents. Well, they bet a bus ticket to St. George, Utah. And of course, long way around, Jimmy beats Haley almost immediately, tops her score in like 10 seconds, which is impossible. But this scene alone establishes the fact that Jimmy is a savant when it comes to video games. Nobody knew what kind of wizard he actually was in video games until this very scene that he's pulling these records completely out of his ass willy-nilly and they're virtually impossible records but this was the start of the trip to
0: video armageddon this this kicks the whole thing off i mean Haley, you know her mom's gambling addict so she kind of i think sees the dollar signs and and somehow pulls out a magazine and and it's video armageddon fifty thousand dollar prize and and speaking of being a savant in video games how about the first time that we see mario 3 so
2: i give you Super Mario Brothers 3!
0: At Video Armageddon, the screen comes up. It's Mario 3. This was the introduction to the United States for Mario 3. It had already come out in Japan, but in the United States, this predated, what, two months? It came out in April of 88 in Japan. It came out here in February of 90. Yeah, so this movie came out in 89, so it predated uh, Mario 3 as far as when it was available to purchase. But being a savant, Jimmy, and, and again, we'll talk about this later, but Jimmy and Lucas and the girl uh is there any Maureen I think I don't remember. Oh, uh, the championship. Yeah, the championship.
1: Ma- Maura Grissom. Yeah,
0: Mora Grissom, Lucas, and Jimmy are in the finals of Video Armageddon. And somehow, despite never hearing of this game, playing it, or anything, they know so much about how to play. It's so strange. There is, you could go logic on that final championship run
1: for an hour on this podcast alone. There's so many falsities and inconsistencies in that championship.
0: Yeah, yeah, There's definitely is. Uh, you, you have more scenes? To talk about? Well, it
1: attaches to the double dragon thing. Well, they go on to their next stop after they arrive in St. George, Utah, after Jimmy hustles Haley. Haley decides, I'm going to come along because apparently she has no family anymore. She's a latchkey kid. She'll just tag along for the ride. So they go to this diner in which they sit down at a booth. And they have Ninja Gaiden. They must have a play choice 10 inside the table, which I've never seen before. It's not a cocktail table. Regular table. He's getting all these amazing scores. And Ninja Gaiden said he was never hit when the camera clearly shows on the game. He was hit at least twice. But Haley's like, Eureka, I have an idea. She runs over to a gaming magazine, and she opens it up. And it says, Video Armageddon winning for $50,000. Yeah and she realizes hey we could go all the way to los angeles and win this money i
2: got it you want to go to california and you want to prove that jimmy doesn't belong in a home do you think they've put him in a home after he'd won this a video game contest haley yeah. he's he's what too crazy too stupid You sure not the genius you are trying to get to California on 27 bucks. You don't believe in him yourself. What's the matter to you anyway? It's a business deal. If I can get into California and he wins, we split the money. Do you think I'd hang around a pair like you for my health?
0: Jimmy wins. Spoiler alert. But Jimmy wins. Video Armageddon. Improbably because there's some skepticism on my part that he... Final push, he gets like 4,000 points in one second. But beyond that, the $50,000, they never resolve it. They never talk about who takes the money. If they split it like eight ways between both families and Haley, it's just its odd. There are so many... This whole movie is an unresolved
1: issue. The whole premise of him wanting to go to California is because he has a lunchbox in the movie is full of pictures of him and his sister, his family, his sister's little shoes. And he basically wants to leave it at a dinosaur, like one of those dinosaurs where you can climb up into like a big statuette-type dinosaur, and leave the lunchbox there as a memorial to her because uh, that was the last time they were all happy as a family.
2: It's all of us. He was taken here. Jimmy. Jimmy says California. I guess he just wanted to leave her in a place where she was happy. I guess he wanted to say goodbye.
0: Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes, and yes. several movies. If if you drive from here in Ohio, where we're at, to Nashville on that trip, there's like some sort of dinosaur statue park. So these these things are out there. That's that's why he only pretty much says California throughout this movie. Yeah. So that was the last. Uh, my, that was my three favorite scenes. I've got two more. One, the impromptu demolition derby between the Woods family and the bounty hunter. That son
2: of a bitch! Oh, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Sorry about that. What? You maniac! I'm gonna sue, do you hear me? I'm gonna sue your ass when this is over! You make money off a little kid, you miserable jerk! You ought to be shot! What
0: are you doing? You want some more? Huh? I don't think he does, is that ready? <laughs> Yeah, Putnam, for some reason, like improbably the Putnam and the Woods family happen to be both driving to find Jimmy along like to see where they have ran off to they're always in the same place at the same time but in this scene it's like Mr. Woods decides he's gonna ram Putnam's car to try and stop him he acts like he has a bulletproof car yeah and he rams him a couple times I mean there's there's multiple scenes where where they do this you know he throws a shovel like a javelin you know they hit each other's cars but it's it's pretty funny there's like an old guy sitting out in front of a, an old timey store, and they're just like crashing their cars into each other in the street. Pretty funny. And then finally, I will say the final thing that I want to discuss is all those scenes are pretty cheery. We talked a lot about Nintendo. We talked a lot about you know demolition derbies. Honestly, is a pretty dark movie. The subtext, like all these these issues, are super dark. It's it's weird for a, a movie that's targeted and that's supposed to be a Nintendo commercial, but is finding out where Haley lives because Haley again hypes up that her mom. Mom is the showgirl and that, you know, her dad like travels on business or whatever it is and that she's, you know, this this well-off child. But in in a time of need where they need somewhere to stay, they go to Haley's house and finds out she lives at whatever boat world is which is weird it's called boat world out in the middle of the desert no boats and she lives in a rundown
1: trailer that seems to be the only trailer yeah around. it's just like a
0: remote trailer in the middle of a valley just in the middle of nowhere is where Haley lives and they you know she has to admit that her mom is actually uh has a huge gambling problem and her dad's not there
2: i know how i told you i lived in some great place so don't be rubbing it in i didn't say anything it ain't my fault and it ain't my dad's, my mom. She had this little problem. That's how I learned about craps. I thought maybe when my, my dad got home tomorrow night from work, we'd have won. Call him up from LA and say, dad, guess what, you can buy a house now. To me, I even sound like
0: a dork and she literally is just free to to travel the world and hang out with truck drivers or whatever it's it's really pretty sad she is the most adult 13 to 15 year
1: old In perhaps the history of modern civilization, how this girl gets around hopping two states from home is quite incredible. Yes, absolutely.
0: So on that note, before we jump into more of the sad stuff in the logic portion of this podcast, why don't we go ahead and take our pool check? Pool check! As we've discussed every week, but we'll do it again this week, we'll tell you that we cover the top five music videos each for the year of the movie we covered. This week, The Wizard 1989. And I will say, like last week where we did Dirty Dancing, it was 1987, To me, this is like peak music video time. This is MTV launched 1981. You've got, you know, the first few years of videos just being live performance type stuff. And it, it took a while before we really got into the groove of what big budget music videos could be every single week i say you know i had a hard time narrowing it to five and every week i think it's harder than the last i had a hard time narrowing my list of five videos we're going into the
1: 90s transitional phase of music you can kind of hint upon it looking just at the top 100 music videos of this year you can see the paradigm shift as we're going into a different flow of music. We're starting to drop that 80s sound, and now we're going into more 90s, maybe a little bit more message-based, a little bit more up-tempo music. And our top fives are slightly a bit different this week. What, so, do, you, what do you got at number, number five to start us off? At number five... We had big news this week. We have the possibility of Michael Keaton being in talks or returning to Batman. In 1989, Batman came out, and in my opinion, Michael Keaton is still my favorite Batman. And this is from Prince from the movie Batman, Bat-Dance. It's crazy. This soundtrack is a whole Prince soundtrack. Yes. But this is the one I decided to pick. It's so
0: good. There's Party Man on this. Yeah, there's there's a crazy video with... A bunch of choreographed Batman dancers and choreographed Joker dancers, and Prince has his face half painted like the Joker. Yeah, I'm pretty so sure. It sort of painted, looks yep. like Two Face, but it's it's just it's a wild song, it's a wild video, and it's so weird to think that this was something Prince was on board with. This is the way I look at it too. Prince was always a colorful character when it came to his outfits, when it came
1: to his stage setup, when it came to even his music. This movie is a Tim Burton masterpiece when it comes to just flushes of color with dark tones, and then you hear Prince. Prince's sound, his lyrics, his music. The, like I said, this whole soundtrack was basically a Prince soundtrack for a Batman movie that was a revival of Batman. You have to remember, this was the first time Batman has been back since Adam West in the 60s. So this is a 20 plus year revival. They went totally to task. I mean, Jack Nicholson was in the movie. Michael Keaton was in the movie. So
0: many other good stars, Kim Basinger. And then you get Prince on top of it to do the soundtrack. Home run. Yeah. Speaking of Batman also, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Yep. Who you could never mistake a Joel Schumacher movie. Batman Forever is a great Batman
1: movie. Now, I will admit I've never seen Batman and Robin. I really don't want to, but Batman Forever gets a lot of shit. Joel Schumacher did an amazing I, Batman yeah, movie I, in that. I Mel mean, Kilmer was underrated. I mean, I
0: don't want to talk too much, I don't want to debate Batman movies, but I mean you've got, you know, you've got Christopher Nolan Batman's, which are awesome. I mean, great movies. You can't deny that. But at the end of the day, Batman's a comic book. You know, these are supposed to be fun, colorful, whimsical type movies. And Joel Schumacher made those types of Batman movies. And maybe someday, again, we'll get that type of Batman movie or, you know, comic book movie in general. But uh, you kind of have your Shazam. But anyway, that's a, that's a, on a different tangent. My number five was just a fun party video, house party type thing. And it was a B-52's Love Shack. And the only thing I really want to say about it. So we've got the part where they say, your what? Yeah, it's Tin Roof Rusted. Yeah. I had absolutely no idea that that's what they said for the longest time. I thought it was like, I mean, I was a wrestling fan, so I thought it was like, and new champion is what I thought they said. So that, that's what I, and I didn't know even once I knew it was Tin Roof Rusted, I didn't know that meant pregnant. I don't know. Wait, it does? Yeah. Tin Roof Rusted means you're pregnant. That's, yeah.
1: I've never heard that before. Yeah. Easily admit to, not really a B-52s fan. Never. Oh, I never liked that song or Rock Lobster. I didn't like Fred Schneider's voice. I love it. I oh. hope Fred Schneider comes on our podcast. <laughs>
0: Give me number four. Number
1: four. You can't go throughout the 80s into the early 90s without mentioning the king of pop himself, Michael Jackson smooth criminal that, now this, that's too low
0: this music number video, four is too low on this i know soundtrack. whatever
1: it's my opinion music video is a masterpiece almost said a masterpiece this was part of so much pop culture this video it, it had a pepsi commercial involved with it michael jackson's moonwalker
0: the video game and the arcade game were a part well, of this this is a movie i mean it yeah. was, it was uh, a 1988 movie called moonwalker and by the way disney plus why don't you put that up on disney plus and put the videos from. Captain EO, yeah, put up Captain EO, Plus. but
1: Moonwalker on Disney Plus, while you're at it. But that was such an iconic music video. It also had Pepsi crossover, yes. too. It's a great song. I mean, I can't really name, well, that's not true. I can name a bad Michael Jackson song, and that's What's Up With You with Eddie Murphy, which is pretty damn horrible. But this video alone, just the outfits, the ambiance, the song, the dance. Annie, are you okay? Are
0: you okay, Annie? I mean, come on, then Alien Ant Farm covered it, and this song got a resurgence again. I'll, I'll spill the beans. This was my number one this week. Uh, this video, so Annie, are you okay? Was actually written about a like a resuscitation doll, like a first aid resuscitation doll. This video was supposed to be a western, and up until like the final stages of pre-production, was a western. And then Michael watched Godfather, and then after he watched Godfather, he said, "No, I, w- I want to do that. I want to do a gangster video choreographed along with Shalimar, which was an '80s R&B group." It's fucking cool. Like this video, it's got. So the most iconic thing is it's got the lean, which in this video was done with cables. And we've all tried to do the lean in real
1: life and have fallen on our asses for doing it. Well, it's physically impossible.
0: Yeah. But in the video, they did it with cables. For his live show, he did it, but the way they did it was, they put like a cuff in the stage, and his shoe had like a clip so he would go to the spot on the stage, he would hook his shoe into the cuff, and then he could lean. Which isn't to say that anyone could do that, because you still had to have incredible core strength to be able to lean down, essentially, and then pull yourself back up. But Michael Jackson had that ability to make the impossible
1: possible. I mean, look at the moonwalk itself. To this day, kids know what the moonwalk is. People tried
0: doing that lean still to this day. He did the impossible. The only drawback I have with this video is a one minute section of this video where the music cuts out and Michael kind of just like makes these like moaning like animal noises. I don't know that It's incredibly awkward and it makes no sense. Yeah, it's just the music cuts out. Everybody's standing in a circle. Michael's like, you know, tipping his head up and down and just moaning. It's kind of weird.
1: But nobody's ever going to say no to Michael Jackson at his peak. There's absolutely no way she Perform, he yeah. could
0: fart on a microphone, and he'd be like, "Oh my god, Michael, this is incredible!" Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number four, Millie Vanilli, girl, you know it's true. For uh, like hours, I had this as my number one. Because I love Millie Vanilli Unapologetically I know it wasn't them singing You don't have to point that out Don't email me Don't need to tweet girl, at me you know it's not you me know that, it's Yes I know it wasn't them singing And you can read the sad story About essentially how these two guys Were used and exploited And then they were blackballed Even though it wasn't them And the guy who did it to them I think is the same guy who founded Like the Backstreet Boys Lou Pearlman. Yes Lou Pearlman, And he essentially Made all this money off of them and continue to have a career and you know these guys took the fall for it so basically about this video is the dancing it's insane it's Mm -hmm. awesome i love it the outfits and then in between the dancing which is you know music video dancing in front of a screen nothing groundbreaking but then in between there's like footage of of one of them with like a girl and it looks like a grainy snuff film which is what I like about it. It just looks like a Millie Vanilli Snuff film. I just always feel bad for... Is it
1: Fab and Patrice? I I think it's Fab and
0: Patrice. And they even tried to launch a career... After this, I think one of what did one of them die of AIDS or something like that? I can't remember off uh, top of my head. I don't want to say incorrectly because I thought it was suicide. It might have been that one of them definitely died.
1: But I know one of them tried to do a solo career and the guy can sing. But let's be honest, he's got that black cloud over him and people are going to be like, "Ah, oh, it's fake. I yeah. don't believe it. They won a Grammy for this. Yeah. They won a Grammy and had to send it back. Yeah, I like the uh, Inception sound effects in this song. So,
0: (laughs) that wall. If
1: anybody ever comes across the documentary, there was a documentary, I think VH1 put it out. The filming of this music video and then the actual people who did sing this music video. The dude's like, he's a big dude and that... He's got a hell of a voice, but it was symptomatic of the 90s, especially with dance tunes that were yes, kind of European. The Music Factory. C- that was my point exactly. They wanted to make sure that the people were necessarily not even singing, but the acts on camera
0: looked sexy yeah. and hot CNC and appealing. Music Factory, the female vocals were Martha Wash. From the Weather Girls. Yeah, from the Weather Girls. And weren't willing to put her out there would have it sold less albums probably not but the thing is though she was already out there because the video for it's rainy men was on mtv in yeah, 84 it's such an odd choice and, and you feel bad that these people get manipulated and exploited but that's not what this podcast is about so how about you tell us what your number three video is okay we are on episode four of the pool scene podcast so i'm going to keep tradition alive
1: Aerosmith loving an elevator. Living, living it up, up as I'm going, going down. Be quite honest with you, this video, not one of the best of Aerosmith. So in a way, I had to put this on here to keep tradition alive because I think it's fitting. Cuz 87 to 93 is a great era of Aerosmith we don't li- like neither of us like Aerosmith you know I I saw Aerosmith once in concert but that was in 2002 like I don't hate Aerosmith I just neither
0: one of us are like yeah but man Aerosmith we
1: appreciate their parlance within rock I mean they are such a quintessential rock band to the point now you possibly have to start comparing them to the Stones and just duration they're still going
0: yeah it's incredible but I put this at number three I had Madonna like a prayer at number three, which is a bonkers video. The song itself is about a woman who is in love with God and he's the only man in her life. But Madonna decided for the video that it would be about a church-going woman who falls in love with a member of the choir. The catch of that is she's a white woman and she falls in love with a black member of the choir. And this is the South. I don't know if it's supposed to be present day or I think it's supposed to be in the past, but falls in love with a member of the choir. So the KKK tries to stop them, and I think... They might both get shot in this video. Uh, but Madonna sings in front of some burning crosses. So the the video itself is just like, bonkers. Controversial as hell, man. You're yeah. showing burning crosses on MTV. Yeah. So I, I, if you look at, you know, when we're doing our research, if you look at top music videos for this year, I think they pretty much the consensus is to have Madonna's Like a Prayer is the number one video of, of 89. But not good enough for me. It's only number three. So my number two is a music video. And a
1: song that everybody tries to do karaoke at least once to. At least tries to do it freestyle without looking at the lyrics. But this video sticks out to me. Probably not as much love if you saw the movie Step Brothers because it's late 80s Billy Joel. But it is Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. There's the lyrics, the lyrics in the song are so indicative of the times that they lived in in 1989. The end of the Cold War. And there's just so many just images just being thrown at you left and right, left and right. You watch this video nowadays, you go on YouTube, you watch it, you're put right back into 1989 because you see the political events and the life events that happened. Happened within that time of day. And it's pretty tremendous. It's phenomenal. In my opinion, one of Billy Joel's best songs. You can give him that late 80s moniker of doo wop bullshit. This isn't 80s. This isn't Uptown Girl. This is We Didn't Start the Fire. You try to sing along. And I know a lot of you are Office fans, much like me. So you always want to sing Ryan Started the Fire. So it goes throughout pop culture
0: history. That's why I put this song at numero dos. Fun fact I hate Billy Joel. I just, there's almost no Billy Joel. that I like or even appreciate. He's just the most overrated person to me. But this song also seems lazy. He's just like naming things in a melody. But at speed. It's very challenging. I know. It's a karaoke challenge. I refuse to give Billy Joel any credit for anything.
1: <laughs> Number- He's better than the B-52s. Uh,
0: I don't think so. Oh, I'll put that to a test. You guys vote for it out there. Number two, I have Aerosmith, but I've got Janie's Got a Gun. Now, this was directed by David Fincher, who directed Seven, Fight Club, Curious Case, Benjamin Button, Social Network, and so on, Gone Girl. Uh, And the song is about child abuse, incest. But to me, this kind of represents what the peak of music videos could be. I mean, this looks like a David Fincher film. You know, you got cops on, you know, on the chase, breaking down doors, train tracks, dimly lit. Like this is a really cool style like stylized video and uh it's again, I didn't have to act I didn't have to like, you know, pull my hair out to try and fit Aerosmith into this week because as far as I'm concerned like this is I mean I've got it my number 2 video it it's deserving of that.
1: So my number 1 music video for
0: 1989
1: is a song and a music video that if you heard the song before the music video you thought all right man these two white guys know how to rock it's really good what a hell of hell of a band it's just a really good sound. You turn on the video, the band is a black rock metal band. It is living color, cult of personality. Now, if you want to see a reaction to somebody who's never heard this song or the video, check out Modern Renaissance Man on YouTube. He never thought that these were black guys. And he's black himself. And he was like, oh, my God, this is an amazing rock song. And, of course, this song gained popularity once again in 2011 when WWE Champion C M. Punk used this song as his theme, and it recharted, I believe, into the top 25, I believe it was. This song, to this day, is one of the perfect songs you get out in your car, pissed off or not pissed off. Roll down all the windows, turn this thing up to 11. It is an amazing rock song with melodies, sound bites with Kennedy. This song transcends a lot of generations. The thing about
0: this song, to me, and the video, this, this song doesn't age. It sounds great. It sounded great for 25 years. It doesn't it's, sound like a song that was made in 89. No, it's it does not sound like a song that was made in 89. It definitely holds up. You can still listen to this. It's it's pretty rad. Uh, again, I had number one. I had Smooth Criminal. We talked about it. So why don't we go ahead and go over some of the ones we missed or left out. Uh, s- another trend you noticed in 89 was that there were a lot of artists doing more than one video in a year or doing multiple videos in a year you've got Guns N' Roses who did Paradise City and Patience you had Tom Petty did Won't Back Down and Free Fallen Paul Abdul yeah straight up and Forever Your Girl um, and then you had stuff like Fine Young Cannibal She Drives Me Crazy uh, Mike and the Mechanics The Living Years which is a pool Bob- of the heartstrings Bobby Brown
1: Every Little Step and you all saw it On Our Own from the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack which we will talk about later
0: on in the season skid row 18 in life winger 17 because hair metal was still kind of you know hanging on and and on mtv for sure uh michael jackson had also had leave me alone which kind of looked like a sega game sort of uh you had Martika, toy soldiers i know there's a lot of hatred for that one share if i could turn back time yeah yeah uh, Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation, Bangles, Eternal Flame. And then you had Young MC, Bust a Move, Antone Look, Funky Cole Medina.
1: Now, if I could say, there is w- really once, s- there's a song that I think was, it seemed out of place, which is Edie Bacrell and the New Bohemians with What I Am. Yeah. It is such a different sounding song. It, it doesn't seem like it would be from 89. It seems like a song you would hear, like an alternative song in 1994.
0: Yeah. And I don't think that song ever got enough credit. No, that's that's a great one. And, and I think, if I remember correctly, I think it was on Beavis and Butt head and i think that's where i i actually heard it for the first time and we also can't forget about peter gabriel's love ballad in your eyes from say
1: anything you hold the radio up high and you play that song all right so
0: that's it for this week's music video portion our pool check until next week when we'll discuss five more music videos each and jim you want to let them know
1: everybody back in the pool
0: All right, before we move on to logic, I do want to ask a couple of things. First, what do you think happened to Corey and Haley? Do you think that they drop her back off at her trailer in Reno by herself?
1: This is what I think. Her mom is a degenerate gambler. We don't know if she's alive or if she's dead. Her father seems to be a wall. No idea. I think... Would they have adopted her, or would they just not necessarily adopt her, but said, hey, you can live with us?
0: I don't think so.
1: Because I don't just see them going, all right, go. Their parents buy. don't even know where she's at. Here's $10,000, bye. Yeah, buy. they
0: don't even know where she's at. I would imagine that they would share some of the 50000 with her, if we even assume that they gave her some. I, I, now, let's think about this 50000 cut. Are we just splitting 50000 between the three? No, I, I don't think you, you would, because I think, one, I think a parent would have to sign off for this, at, at least at eighteen. Year old. So you've got you've got Corey and Jimmy. Jimmy won the tournament. In my opinion, fifty thousand dollars is his to do with what he wants. But you've got Corey who brought him there. Haley is the one responsible for everything. She's the one who showed him a magazine ad. She was the spark. She was the spark. So she deserves a cut. But then you've got two sets of parents. You've got, you know, his mom and stepdad. I mean, let's
1: be honest. Fuck the Batements. Let's say right now, those two, the mother and the step, the stepdad's a real prick. He's the one who basically wants to ignore Jimmy. He never existed. We're going to throw him in a home, let them
0: deal with it. I don't want to deal with this bullshit, having to watch him. And
1: apparently Jimmy just goes on random adventures yeah, by himself. Yeah, the
0: open of the movie is Jimmy walking down the, the highway just in the middle of nowhere. There are no cops in this movie. Once again, it's another movie where there is no cops. So uh, we'll, we'll get into some of that on, on logic. The other thing I wanted to bring up about this movie, I like that this movie would be difficult to remake. I like that, you know, with with now, everything gets remade or everything gets reimagined. And obviously, this made $14 million, so it wasn't, you know, some blockbuster that's beloved. I I think that there definitely is a place in pop culture for this movie, but... It, it's it's a movie that, in order for this to remade be remade, that there would have to be so many changes. It would be awful. It'd be either has the dream of being a Twitch streamer. He's the best Call of Duty Warzone player on the planet. It'd be garbage. It would, and and there's no way that you'd you know, be able to be self-sufficient enough to hitchhike across the country. It's just, this is a a perfect movie for 1989. You know, probably somewhere between 85 and 95, this kind of movie could happen. Perfect
1: for Nintendo. It was the
0: height of the NES. I just don't know why they made it so dark for a Ninten- like essentially a Nintendo commercial. Part of the legacy of this movie, I'll say, is it sounds like Nintendo kind of swore that they would never have involvement in a movie again after this movie. And I don't know if that's because it didn't do so well financially or because they were just kind of like, we can't have these sensitive subjects broached. Now here, I have a question. Now,
1: get, let me know what you think, even everybody out there listening. Do you think this movie was already made and Nintendo said hey, this would be a good vehicle to debut Super Mario 3, or what I think, Super Mario 3 was like, Nintendo's like, how can we just throw Super Mario 3 in a movie? Oh, this movie's in pre-production or kids? Hey, director, writer,
0: try to fit this in somewhere. Yeah, I think that's probably something we have to research, but I can't imagine, this movie doesn't happen without, I mean, the whole point of this movie, it either was written or rewritten to culminate with Mario 3. Mm. The whole point of this movie, essentially, is to introduce Mario 3.
1: It's an introduction to Mario 3 that's also encapsulated around mental health issues,
0: whether it be PTSD or Possible autism. Okay, so that's a good transition. Let's get into logic. So before so Jimmy's sister died two years prior and she drowned. It sounds as though Jimmy has ever since then been in and out of this mental institution, whatever you want to call it. And Jimmy,
1: it. I believe they said when they were at the drive-in that Jimmy was there when she died, when he she was, drowned. Yes. And he couldn't help her. Right. She was his
2: twin sister. They got down by the river. Jimmy and her, somehow Jennifer got too close. Jimmy couldn't swim, so he was afraid. It was weird. She didn't go downstream at all. She just died a few feet of water right in front of him. It was really hard for Jimmy.
0: So they call him handicapped. They call him a mental case. They call him a space case. I mean everything kind of short of the r-word in this movie and but but what the point i want to make is we don't see jimmy before his sister died and the way that i think this movie is directed and shown is we are to assume that up until jimmy's sister died he was not like this well you see in that big picture that he
1: leaves at that dinosaur enclosure statue He's smiling, It's he's there with Corey, Nick, Sam, and his mom, and Jennifer. They're all happy, so we can assume he was a normal kid.
0: Okay, so then that checks out as far as, you know, for calling this PTSD then, because he, you know, I, I tend to believe, again, this is sort of like a kid's version of Rain Man, so I, I don't really remember in 1989 how much talk there was of autism. Well, remember in the movie Rain Man... They thought he was artistic.
1: And he's like, no, it's not artistic. It was autistic. Yeah,
0: so so they... It was new. Yeah, it was new, but there was autism. And you know, sometimes, unfortunately, it was called idiot savant. Jimmy definitely has a lot of those tendencies. You know, he's, for many stretches of the movie, he's nonverbal. He's very good at one thing. He's, so he seems to be very smart. So I would think you know he's probably on the autism spectrum but anyhow so they act like he wasn't like this until his sister died and then he got PTSD and he can't deal with it and he just wanted closure with his his sister's death so he wants to take her photos to the dinosaurs in California which is why he says California California and
1: apparently that's all he has said when he's in the institution is California California that's
0: it and no one knows what he's talking about my question is once Jimmy puts these pictures back in this dinosaur are we to assume that he's just I hate to use the word normal, but is he just back to normal?
1: I think it would be an ongoing process because remember, throughout this film we have no idea what's in that lunchbox until they are basically wrangled by a bunch of arcade thugs at the drive-in even Corey had no idea what was in the lunchbox and then it's like oh it's pictures of my sister jennifer there's a pair of her shoes jimmy's quest was he want that was his sense of closure now do i think he would be completely cured no but you have to remember in the truck ride back in which they awkwardly sit jimmy pulls down on the on the hat you could see him laughing so i think that was the point one where he started to come back around again
0: yeah i i think yeah like you said i think he probably needs more therapy to deal with this he saw his sister die i mean that's not easy i think he's nine years old so not an easy thing to deal with but i think this is definitely the first step in healing interesting but you brought up something else another huge logic issue to me which is why is this movie so dark? Why is the uni- like the universe that they live in in the wizard? They get robbed twice. By the apparent truckers in the cow truck, they get robbed there even though Haley
1: said, "I know truckers. I know their I know their life, I know how they operate." And then
0: they get robbed by the arcade thugs. Yeah, they hustle kids at the arcade for 20 bucks. Somehow Another logic issue. Somehow the kids from the arcade find them as they're sleeping in what's, I think, an abandoned drive in. It's an abandoned
1: drive in in loose quotes because there are still three big multi-thousand-dollar projectors just in there with a ransacked
0: film-slash-concession area. Yeah, so the, somehow the the arcade thugs low them and understand where they're at because this is the second time. And the first time they get robbed when they're in the back of the cow truck, all it takes is for the driver to look over his shoulder... <laughs> And see Haley fanning out money. Yes. See Haley like counting her money. And it's just like they have no conscious be where they can like help themselves it's just like hey man pull over they got money we got to rob them they just can't help themselves plus Haley tries to put up a fight
1: and it is the worst form of hammer fists to the back of the older gentleman's back and while we were re-watching it i basically yelled why does Haley not just kick the guy in the balls but then again they're out in the middle of nowhere
0: where were they going to run to so last week during our pool check we talked about over the top a little bit and this movie in my opinion has like some similarities to over the top. Uh, one is just the amount of times that children find themselves in a bar or a casino which also happens in over the top. It's just impl- implausible. I mean there's no cops or authority figures that are like. There's nobody checking a door and go ID or look at a kid and go you can't
1: come in here. Yeah like and she even gets kicked out. Her him, Corey and Jimmy get kicked out of the casino after they were yelling across the casino at Spanky about about craps because she knows how to play craps, well, apparently.
0: I think it's after they get robbed. They're in a city, and Corey's giving Haley like all kinds of hell because he's like, Where are we? We have no money. We're broke. They wander into a literal bar. The bar has like a video game section that you'd see at like a truck stop or maybe in the 80s, like a little game room. And there's these like suit and tie businessmen. Definitely in their late 50s. Yeah, playing Mario, Mario 1.
1: 1 on a non play choice cabinet or not even a versus Mario Brothers cabinet. Yeah. So, there. they've
0: got some weird cab where they're playing Mario One, and then Corey and Haley, or I should say Jimmy, is ultimately the one you know, they hustle these businessmen. But it's like, what are they doing in a bar in the first place? Also, the tremendous thing after they hustle those guys, they proceed
1: to walk in near twilight down the middle of a highway, and somehow Haley
0: knows, hey, there's this junkyard nearby. We can sleep here at the junkyard. Well, that's that leads me into another logic point that I have, and I want to get into your logic points as well, but is how, how do these kids have such good survival skills? Before they hook up with Haley, there's a scene where we see Corey and Jimmy, like, in a mountain or on a mountain they've built a fire and they're like there's coyotes howling in the background camping out and it's like snakes what why are we led to believe that these kids are able to do this
1: you also brought up the fact of over the top one thing in this movie that is a nice little easter egg to over the top spanky Haley's trucker best friend which somehow she has a trucker best friend in his late 40s drives a truck that if you look real quick when the truckers apprehend putnam when he has jimmy you look at the door It says Hawk Hauling, and it's the same truck that Sylvester Stallone used in the movie Over the Top, filmed two years prior. It's a nice Easter egg. I wish I
0: had that truck myself right now. I wish I just had the Hawk on the hood. That'd be pretty sweet to have. I want the whole truck to park it in my driveway. (laughs) Uh, I will say uh, one last thing. I have... Uh, I know there's a big one we want to talk about with Mario 3 at Video Armageddon. Uh, Why are his dad and brother and the bounty hunter chasing them? I I know the literal answer is because they're trying to find Jimmy and bring him back. How do they know where they're going? I know that Jimmy says California all the time. So is it just like... He says California all the time. He's got to be going to California. But
1: they never specify where in
0: California. No. California
1: is a big-ass San Francisco?
0: State. Does he want to go to Big Sur? Does yeah. He is he going go to go skiing? Does he want to go to... San Diego? Yeah. Like, where in California? And two, the, the dad and brother and the bounty hunter are always, like, one step behind. They're always in the exact same place that the kids just were maybe a day prior. And to me, you don't really ever get that scene where, you know, you you get a scene where the bounty hunter interviews a kid and the kid's like, "Even if I knew where they were, I wouldn't tell you." There's nothing that leads me to believe that, you know, that like he finds a kid and the kid's like, "Oh yeah, they were in here yesterday. They went that way." It's just like There's no sense of direction a kid never goes. "Hey, he's
1: went in there." The only time there is a confirmed spot in which they know where to go is when they run into Lucas at his yes. diner, Sam and Nick, and he's like, cause the one one of the arcade thugs stole Corey's woods landscaping hat. Yeah. And he wore it. Nick and Sam approach him, where'd you get this? And Sam's about ready to rough him up. Cause basically. This kid, who, let's be honest, this arcade thug, he isn't playing with a full deck. He proceeds to get lippy. looks like Sam's going to punch him. And then Lucas is at the counter and goes, hey, I know where they're going. And he reveals the ad saying, Video
0: Armageddon, Los Angeles, California. I have a, I'm have a snob, so I have a hard time letting go of just, you know, that it's a movie explanation. Because the odds that that kid would be in that diner at the time that they're there, not just in there, but also still wearing the Woods construction hat or Woods landscaping, and they spot it is just just like mind-boggling to me even because stuff like this in movies is pretty easy to correct all we need is the bounty hunter to talk to one kid who specifically says yes they're going from arcade to arcade hustling people they were here yesterday you know the next arcade is there or it doesn't even have to be that explained and then the woods family so dad and brother all they have to do is just follow the bounty hunter And that explains it. But instead, we get like no exposition, nothing to explain how the bounty hunter and the dad and brother are always just always able to find them. So let's go on to my logic. So
1: kick your feet up, folks. I got uh, some good ones here for you. You're going to be gaming centric logic questions. But before I get into those, I'm going to start at the very beginning of the movie. Jimmy is at this institution in Utah. Even though they say he should be institutionalized, he's already there. He's sitting in a room while his stepdad and his mom, well, basically his stepdad is throwing a shit fit. He's building something with these I wouldn't say Legos, they're Duplos. They're they're the bigger Lego, the Duplos. I don't know if Duplos are still around, but that's what they are. And it looks like three big TV screens. You're like, "Oh, what could that be?" Fast forward to the drive-in later on in the movie. He takes popcorn baskets. Like these popcorn things. You go to the movie theaters, you get these big, like rhombus size half rhombus size popcorn containers. He's making the three big TV screens again. Fast forward to the video game contest, Video Armageddon, which the name in itself makes no sense because it basically says Video End of the World. That's it. There's not going to be a day after this. It's Video Armageddon. When they reveal when it's Jimmy, Lucas, and Maura Grissom, they lift up the this door, and it's revealed that there are three television screens. So somehow, some way, Jimmy transcended time and space he apparently is the doctor from doctor who we didn't know it he somehow knew that his final destination even though he had no idea there was going to be video gaming involved would consist of three big movie
0: screens to play a video game on now they didn't explain it but i will potentially give benefit of the doubt on this one because what if and you gotta bear with me here what if in the mental institution Jimmy's given magazines to read and he sees that video Armageddon ad and maybe they had a layout of the stage but he's nonverbal so therefore he doesn't tell anyone I mean again a stretch maybe something you see in the two and a half hour cut because it's more plausible again how, how does he get so good at video games we don't even know that
1: it appears in an institution and video games would be something good for like like mental building hand to eye coordination, yeah. something to keep focused on but playing off your point how would they know to do something like that because the set wouldn't have been built unless there was a year-round competition where he, like you said, could have came across a, a thing and they were showing video Armageddon highlights from the 1988 contest. So that's possible, too. I mean, it's a stretch, but it's
0: possible. It's a stretch. I, I like that explanation better than he telepathically knows and sees himself like he's Bran Stark from Game of Thrones. Like He just knows he's going to be at video Armageddon. I, I don't like that. So it's a stretch, but but it's a better explanation, in my opinion, than the actual thing. Because you got to remember, they don't really ask Jimmy's permission to take him to Video Armageddon. Essentially, Corey and Haley are using him in a way and just say, we're going to take him to Video Armageddon because he can win without ever really asking, like, hey, is this something you want to do? But then when they get jumped by the bullies at the drive-in, he, you know, Corey's getting real mad at him, and Haley's ready to give up, and Jimmy actually speaks up and says... I don't want to give up. You're right about that, though.
1: They basically force, But then again, Jimmy could have found his way back because we know that Jimmy's a wanderer. Yeah. And he goes round and round and round like Dion. So, that was an old throwback song for you right there. Check out Dion. My next <laughs> logic issue. All right, let's get into the crux of this, folks. This movie is a homage to Nintendo. Now let's get into some of the gaming issues, everybody. As I mentioned earlier on in this show, Jimmy starts playing Double Dragon. And all of a sudden, in 40 seconds, we timed it, he scores 50,000 points on Double Dragon in 40 seconds. First off, that's impossible. Second, when he starts up the game, it's the wrong music. So right off the bat, wrong. Next scene when they're in the diner, he's playing Ninja Gaiden, and Haley says, look, he's never even taken a hit, and he's on his next life. Screen clearly shows that he's been hit twice. Let's go to another one. Well, Kevin said it earlier. When it comes to Lucas and Rad Racer, the sound doesn't match up to where he would be in the game. He's not even using the power glove correctly. Also, another hidden special Easter egg is when Lucas powers up the power glove, the five notes you hear are from the five notes from Close Encounters of the First Kind. Third Kind. Close Encounters of the Third... What did I say? First kind? First kind. Yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The first kind was not the good movie. <laughs> it's the third movie in the trilogy that was better, but it's the jingle that they communicated to the alien spaceship yeah. with, so that's a nice little Easter egg. Later on, we get to the fact where Haley's calling the tip line. This is the one I really want to get into. This makes no sense, because these tip lines were 1-900 numbers. They were yes. always 1-900 numbers. Kevin and I are wrestling fans. I can remember being a WCW fan, and if you wanted to call the tip line, it was one 900 99 hundred it was 99 cents a minute all yeah. tip lines back then
0: they were 99 cents dollar 99 a yeah, minute
1: how the hell is haley racking up a phone bill well i'll go further than that They're- now let's b- before you jump into that real quick before i forget this thought yes i get the fact that Spanky won $400 on craps, and she only gave Spanky 10 bucks, which is bullshit, because sure. he did the work. So you're thinking, okay, they're in that Reno hotel, they have $390 at their exp- expense. Know, expense. Yeah. We don't know how long they stayed in that hotel, but you figure, $0.99 cents a minute, when you see the scene near the end of the tip line one, he has these binders stacked up. If she's sending, you gotta think, that's gotta be a couple hundred dollars on that phone bill. So right off the bat, they're sitting by the pool, they're ordering food, they're getting drinks poolside, they're ordering stupid those uh those party favor glasses with the nose and the
0: mustache where you look like gene Shalit. So before you get too far away from it, are we to assume that Spanky procured the room for them? Because How, I don't know what the policy is for allowing children to reserve a hotel room. See, I don't think he did, because remember, they were all kicked out of the bar, and one of the bouncers said, you can't
1: let kids gamble for you. And they kicked him out, and she handed him a ten, and said, thanks, spanky, like a
0: dismissal. I can remember having hotel parties at like 18 or 19 years old, and if you were under 21, you had to put a security deposit down that you'd get back after you checked out because of your age. But these kids aren't even 18, 19. They're 13 So they're checked into a room at a Reno
1: hotel racking up 99 cent a minute tip lines. Another thing that doesn't make sense with the tip line is the fact that the first game, the guy's like, all right, what do you want to start with? And she's like, I want to start with simon's
0: quest yeah they would never play that game.
1: first of all they would never play that game in a championship arena or a condition just because there's no points involved you can't really accrue anything in castlevania it makes no sense now i get the fact you're probably like well jim they said lucas knows all 97 games they're not going to play 97 games at video armageddon they're going to play point-based games only That's it. So there's a lot of games that make no sense. And you could see a video Armageddon. They play Ninja Gaiden during the preliminary rounds. You never see Castlevania 2, which makes no sense. We get to video Armageddon. During the finals of Super Mario Brothers 3, there are so many scoring inconsistencies. If you look at the small screen that there, it's right in front of him, doesn't match up to the big screen. There are so many point discrepancies. Like all of a sudden, Jimmy loses a guy, he loses eighteen thousand points, immediately comes back. Every time the announcer announces a score, doesn't match up with what's on the screen. And the biggest one. There's so many more, but I'm gonna cut to the chase. The biggest one. This was the debut of Super Mario Brothers 3. There is is no way in hell that Jimmy Woods, as great as he is at video games, would know where the warp whistles are in that game and there is no way the warp
0: whistles would give you that many points in Super Mario Brothers 3. We'd have to break it out but I'm pretty sure that just for warping you don't get any points. There's no points. In later levels do you get more points for doing the same things? No well getting the star at the end of the level you get more points yeah. but you don't get that many points. Now he's like 4,000 points behind with one second left on the clock and he wins and it's you know things like this in movies i I just don't understand why they just don't hire a continuity manager you know any movie that's got some sort of ticking clock sports movies you know in football games where it's really hard to shoot because of you know yardage and scoreboards and and keeping all that but you just hire a continuity manager now this i would imagine the lines were in the script a certain way and it was just hard to get what was on the screens to match What was on in the script? So, also, real
1: quick, my last bit of logic when Jimmy's brushing up at the Reno Hotel down in the arcade area, there is a child who is working as a concession server dressed up almost like a chambermaid. (laughs) <laughs> walking around selling candies and popcorn, and Corey gives her a tip and basically calls her toots. Yeah. What kind of fucking hotel lets kids come in and gamble, then they enforce it, get a hotel room, and then work under child labor
0: conditions. Yeah. It's that's my logic, folks. A lot of logic in this one if you really want to break it down. Let's move on to the legacy. I don't think we have a lot. I will say legacy, this. Mario 3 became the highest selling Nintendo game to not be paired with a console. So it sold like 18 million copies off the back of this movie which is surprising because nobody saw the movie. So it makes me think the game was going to sell 18 million copies probably whether they included it in this movie or not. Then again with them including this
1: in the movie and you have to remember everybody this is before the age of the internet so everything was basically broadcast through magazines. Game Pro Magazine, Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine brought up the fact that Super Mario 3 Is in this movie. The home video sales for this and rental sales were amazing for this because people wanted to see Super Mario 3 because you have to remember, it didn't come out for another two months
0: after this movie was released.
1: So I guarantee you you get Mario 3 and go, oh, I want to watch the Mario movie because as a kid, I called this the Mario 3 movie.
0: Yeah. I will say that they probably, you know, another legacy is Nintendo pulled their involvement in movies probably due to this and, you know, weren't comfortable moving forward and allowing their games to be featured and other things.
1: I mean, look at what we have in a movie. We have child abandonment issues. We have child death in this movie. We have possible sexual predatory Issues with Putnam the Bounty Hunter, which is real creepy. There's, he grabbed my breasts. She doesn't even have any breasts. It's weird, creepy shit that I could totally understand why Nintendo probably thought this will be a nice
0: family movie. But it, like we said, we in the end, we don't know what the hell happened to this family. No, and it's so strange because they don't have to do that. I say this with like every movie every week. Like They could have made a movie that revolved around Video Armageddon, revolved around Mario 3, and had none of these issues i mean there it could have just been like a i can't think of one off the top of my my head but a family road trip movie a bunch of hijinks happen you know they could run into lucas still they could run into mora whoever and then like they find out that jimmy is
1: really good at video games and as a family they go wait there's this big contest he can come in let's see what this kid's worth and they do little stops say around route 66 yeah it's sort of like you know? a
0: national lampoons movie where they it's like done something like that And know, the payoff.
1: is th- Mario three, and then he wins it all in the end, and it brings the family even more closer together.
0: Yes, and but instead they went super dark. It's a little odd for who the demographic was, and and what the payoff is, which is basically not a, a commercial for Nintendo, but also a commercial for Universal Studios because that's where video armageddon takes place. You essentially get you know, a shitty five-cent tour of the park. You get movie. the King Kong ride in the movie, too. So in case you weren't there, now you feel like you were. I don't really have anything else for the legacy. Anything else you want to touch on? <sighs> There's
1: not really any legacy. Like I said, this is known as the Mario movie. It's If you looked at somebody right now, and I know a lot of you listening to this will be like, what's the one thing you think of the wizard? The Power Glove. It's so bad. Yeah. And just the and, and also, you want to talk about a legacy to this movie. The kid who plays Lucas, Jackie Vinson, is now on another infamous list.
0: He got arrested for being a sexual predator. Yeah, that's that's some legacy. So let me move on. <laughs> move way away from <laughs> sexual predatory talk. And let me tell you what drink pairs well with this movie. Now, I've got two to pick from. Rockadile Red or Sharkleberry Finn Kool-Aid. Because... I don't have an alcoholic beverage with this movie. I want to drink some Kool-Aid. It makes me think of 1989. I was drinking Kool-Aid. I had a Kool-Aid mustache. So let me give you the instructions for how to make Kool-Aid. You get yourself a large pitcher. Really? We're doing instructions for Kool-Aid? Yes, you have to. (laughs) If I'm giving a drink recipe, you get yourself uh, a large pitcher or jug you pour one cup of sugar or sugar substitute like Splenda, if that's how you roll, you pour it into the pitcher and then you get your pouch of Kool-Aid. Now I know that they sell the Sharkleberry Finn and the Rocket Red in like pouches. Now they have these Kool-Aid retro juice box things, but if you can still get yourself a packet of Rocket Red or Sharkleberry Finn, you tear the packet open, you add the one pouch on top of the one cup of sugar, and then you fill it up two quarts of cold water. Or if you want to use ice, if you want to drink it immediately. And a pro tip, a Kool-Aid pro tip is after you add the Kool-Aid packet when you're ready to add water, fill that empty Kool-Aid pouch with water and pour it into the pitcher until that pouch runs clear. That way you're getting every molecule of Kool-Aid power. <laughs> All right, I have two and they're not mixed drinks. At this time in
1: 1989, my mom would love to shop at Farmore. Now Farmore was I'd, I'm pretty sure it was a regional a regional like grocery type chain. At Farmore, that was the only place where you can get Jolt Cola. Yeah. Now, Jolt Cola was a parent's nightmare. That that shit as a kid would keep you up all night to play Mario Three. So for me, it was Jolt Cola. And if my mom needed to save money on groceries, we wouldn't get Coca Cola or Pepsi. She would get either RC Cola, nice Royal Crown Cola, or
0: Shasta Cola. Oh yeah, Shasta Cola was my shit. Not to go too far off topic, but I think about those sleepovers when I was a kid. You'd go to the to the video store. You'd rent yourself a game whether whether it be far more or wherever you would rent yourself a video game and you'd want to play it even if it was a dud you'd want to play it because you rented it because it depends on how much your mom spent she would do a one night two night or three night yeah. rental so if you had a friend over i remember being a kid and staying up until like three four five in the morning our house wasn't that big and like god bless my parents for putting up with that because we had to have been loud just being like inappropriate kids playing video games till three or four a.m plus you got to re- Remember, guys, there were no save states in video games back then. You
1: either played the game to completion or you went to bed, you kept your Nintendo on all night and hoped to hell the power didn't go out or the Nintendo didn't freeze. Yeah,
0: or or you had a game like uh Tyson's Punch Out, which had, you know, like a code you the could code. put in to return. So All right, guys, that just about does it. Jim, do you have anything to plug? Well, let me just do the normal plug. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and like this
1: podcast, the pool scene, Podcast On Apple and Spotify. Make sure you also follow us on Facebook at The Pool Scene Podcast and our Instagram page at The Pool Scene Podcast.
0: All right, that just about does it. We're not going to go ahead and tell you what's next week yet because we do have some things on the horizon, some different things, some exciting things, and you will find out about those soon enough at all the sources that Jim just gave you. Wait a second. I'm in the Six palace so High
2: yeah, I got past the River Devil. <laughs>
0: Terrific.
2: What the hell are you doing? I had the magic key. I got the cross. I was closing in on the barbarian.
0: So until next time, I'm Kevin Bradway with Jim Sabella. Bye bye. This is the Pool Scene Podcast. To the cars.